Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our show, Crunch Time with Cruck. My name is Jacob Krukenberg. This is Max Williams. And here on our show, we discuss the latest that happens in the wide world of sports. Without much more further ado, we're going to jump right into things. First topic we're going to cover today, the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs will be hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. Yes, you heard that right. Tampa Bay is the visiting team at their own stadium. This is the first time the Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be playing in the Super Bowl against each other. Tell us more, Max. Well, Krug, this game, it, like you said, it's, it feels like a disadvantage, right? You know, you're down in Tampa like, wait, wait, what are they doing? Why are they in Tampa, right? It just feels a little bit weird and strange. But to me, this game, I believe, is going to be a high-scoring game, right? It's a high-scoring game, going to be 35 – I think it's going to be like 35-31 kind of range. I mean, if, if any chance is going to come to whose defense makes a stop, right? Whose defense, to me, is going to make the stop, make the play to win the game? I mean, if you're the Buccaneers, you can't allow 269 or whatever you allowed to Tyreek Hill that last game, week 12. That's, that can't happen. If you're Carlton Davis, you're those corners, you've got to be able to stop them because the Chiefs are just too much firepower on offense. With Kelsey, with Hill, with Hardman, they're just they're so good with getting the offense going. And the Buccaneers, same as well. You I mean, they got Fournette, they got Brown. So I guess it's going to come to whose defense makes a stop and who's going to be able to make the big play at the end of the game. I mean, you're absolutely right. Just some couple more overviews. The Chiefs, if they repeat this year, they will only be the eighth team in NFL history to repeat Super Bowls. Bruce Arians and Andy Reid, two of the greatest coaches still in the game today, have only played each other, excuse me, coached against each other twice in their career, each time only winning by three. Andy Reid beat Bruce Arians by three and then vice versa. Tom Brady is been in the Super Bowl 10 times out of his 21 seasons. Amazing. For those who aren't math majors, that is 47%. And for those wow. basketball fans out there, Steph Curry hits a three-pointer 43% of the time. <laughs> so there's a better chance that Tom Brady makes the Super Bowl than Steph Curry hitting a three-pointer. Also, the Bucks will be the first team to host their own Super Bowl. As mentioned, they are the visiting team, though. The Chiefs are favored by three and a half points. And this is going to be a pass-heavy game. Tampa Bay has one great running back who did not get 1,000 yards in the regular season. The Chiefs have three great running backs that when added their total, it's right around the 1,000-yard mark, but not anything spectacular. Both quarterbacks have huge arms, and yeah. this is going to be a slugfest. Yeah, like I said, Kruk, it's going to be an offensive showdown, right? It's going to be between two offenses that really know how, to, you know, they're both quarterbacks, both experienced. Mahomes, obviously, he's been in three years into the NFL with Brady being in there for a long time, <laughs> a long time. So it's going to be up to, like I said, who is going to be able to make that play, that make that play to help the team out and really, you know, make it happen for each team. And when you talk about experience in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's been there 10 times, so you don't get much more experience than that. But the rest of his team hasn't been to the Super Bowl all that often. Gronkowski came from New England. He has experience there. A couple other players have experience in the Super Bowl, but not a whole lot for Tampa Bay. The Chiefs, the entire Chiefs team has been to one Super Bowl yep. last year's. So neither team has an overwhelming sense of experience but 
it should be a great game at the end of the day. Last year's Super Bowl champs trying to repeat. Tom Brady going for the seventh ring. I think it's going to be a great game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it depends on, like, it's, it's all about, it's going to be a fireworks, right? It's going to be, you're down in Tampa, you're down in the sunshine, you're down in, you're enjoying it all. And I believe the running backs too, Crook, mention it but this way, with Fournette and those running backs for the Chiefs, with Elaire and all those running backs, I think are going to be a big part of this game as well. Keep an eye on Keyshawn Vaughn. I really like him. That's Vanderbilt running back. He's a very shifty back, and he can make a lot of plays. Once again, we're talking about the coaches. Andy Reid has been to the Super Bowl a total of five times, but he's only been the head coach three times, winning last year's, if you remember, 2019, over the 49ers. And Bruce Arians has never head coached a Super Bowl, but he's been to three Super Bowls, once as the wide receiver head coach for Pittsburgh Steelers, twice as the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he ended up walking away two and one. So Bruce Arians does have two Super Bowl rings. Yeah. So that's definitely got to be something to look for. And then for all those non-sports fans who are going to watch the game, <laughs> the ads and the halftime show is supposed to be one for the record books. The weekend yeah. put $7 million into these halftime show to make it the best ever. But I still think that Purple Rain, sung by Prince, and it yeah. started raining, will still be the best. For sure, Crook. Well, Kruk, talking about the Super Bowl, we're going to move on to another NFL topic. A big blockbuster trade happened this week between Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. Uh, the Rams are going to get Matt Stafford in a trade with, with the Lions getting two first-round picks and Jared Goff in the trade as well. So, Kruk, with all this in mind, how do you think, which team got the advantage in this trade? Uh, I think that the Rams ended up walking away as the winners of that trade. Detroit ended up getting... You know, a decent comeback for it. Detroit now has Jared Goff, a decent quarterback. Not a great one, but his name's big enough that he can make ripples in the NFL. They also got the running back from the Rams, Todd Gurley. Mm -hmm. Situational running back right there. He's good. He's on the decline. You got to see how it goes from here. But the number one overall pick out of Georgia in 2009, uh, Matt Stafford. Finally reunited with his high school buddy, Clayton <laughs> Kershaw. So how about that? A random trade in the NFL ends up bringing two high school friends wow. back together. I mean, who would have thought? That's, that's awesome, Crook. I mean, when you think of this, though, I really like when I look at trades, I look at who has the clear advantage, right? When you look at trades, and with Matt Stafford, he has now new weapons. And I feel like with Stafford, he hasn't got the break that he deserves. You know what I mean? The break... He only had really one true receiver in my mind, which is Megatron, which he retired four years ago. And it felt like that it really he didn't have the stars with him. And I feel like with the Rams having Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and all those other receivers are going to help him out immensely. I mean, with Jared Goff, I felt like this year also he kind of dropped off. You know what I mean? He kind of dropped off. He didn't feel like himself. Because, again, when he was in the Super Bowl in 2018, he threw for 4,688 yards and 32 touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible after being the 2016 number one overall pick. And he's got to be able to find himself back in Detroit. And I hope with the new head coach and Dan Campbell and the whole new coaching staff there is going to help him out a lot. And, I mean, when you look at it, Matt Stafford is ranked top 20 in over six different categories and it hasn't played in a single playoff game yet. He's had a phenomenal Hall of Fame potential career 
and has not played his first playoff game. Me being the stat guy that I am, I looked at the stats for the Rams to win the Super Bowl next year. The Rams went from 1,800 to 1,500 wow. winning the Super Bowl. So with Stafford, their odds of winning the Super Bowl went up, but not significantly enough to really put them in contention with the Patriots, with Tom Brady, or like the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, yeah. or even the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the culture in Detroit. You know what I mean? I, I feel like when you ever have a team, you want to have great culture, right? And you want to have players that want to evolve. You want to have teammates to go with you. And like I said, I just didn't see that with what Stafford had beforehand. I feel like when he's down in L.A., you know, like you said, he's immensing with his buddy in Clayton Kershaw, and he's having a great time, right? So I feel like that's going to be an important part for him and his growth and his development in the National Football League. And also looking at it, the Rams won't have a first-round draft pick until the year 2024. The only first-round draft pick that will be playing on their team until 2024 goes by the name of Aaron Donald. You may or may not know him. He is most likely going to be the defensive player of the year. He has been called a 300-pound bar of soap when wet. <laughs> he cannot be stopped by any offensive lineman, and sometimes it takes up to three of them just to slow him down. Yeah, that's, that's another thing, too, that is an advantage, right? Because you've got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. That's going to help out Stafford, too. And that's, I believe, with a defense like the Rams, right, the defense that they have and now having the weapons they have before. And Sean McVay, he's still a young coach. He's a young coach that's still – developing and trying to help himself out with the program. So I think it's going to be big for the Rams if they want to try to beat Seattle or Arizona or the teams in the NFC West. They got to be able to come together as a full team. They got to be able to beat the Russell Wilson, the Kyler Murray, and all those kind of players because with Aaron Donald coming at you, you know he's a force of nature. You know he's a force of nature. And Jalen Ramsey's a lockdown corner. So, you know, he's a, he's a lockdown corner. And this whole team, they just got to be able to evolve as one group. The Rams made the playoffs this year and ended up winning one game, losing the following game. So it was a tough break. They beat Seattle, who actually won the division. Mm -hmm. The Rams came in as a wild card, beat the divisional winner, went on to play the Packers and lost. Tough break in Lambeau. But yeah. moving forward with Stafford, now that they have a high-quality quarterback, even though he is a bit older, he still is a high-quality performing quarterback. Moving forward, the Rams should have a pretty good sense of how to build a playoff team around Stafford and around the defense. So, now that we're talking about trades, the big one, the Mac Daddy of them all, Deshaun Watson trade. Is he going to be traded? If he isn't traded, is Houston still going to let him play? What do you think, Max? Well, Deshaun Watson, it's – I mean, what, first of all, we got to understand that is his contract that he's under is a no-trade kind of clause situation. Which what that means is he has the opportunity to choose for him and himself what's best for him. And what's best for him is does he really want to be in Houston? I mean, that whole organization down there, to me, it just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? It just didn't feel right for him. I mean, if you look at it, I think the Dolphins could be an interesting place. You know what I mean? Because they're a young, evolving team. Got a great head coach, Brian Flores. And, you know, what they did this year, their defense, they're one of, they had a really good defense, I thought. You know, they, they did a good job representing um, the conference that way. So, but another team I'm looking at is the Las Vegas Raiders. And hear me out with this, Kruk. I think the Las Vegas Raiders 
are a team that's very interesting. If you know John Gruden, he really likes Clemson, kind of Alabama, kind of speedy kind of guys. He kind of likes, you know, and their defense has gotten better. Their organization's gotten better. They beat the Chiefs <laughs> in, in the division one of the times this year. So the Raiders could be an interesting spot and in probably moving Derek Carr, Derek Carr down to Houston, and maybe some other future little first-round picks as well. Just some notes that I took looking over the possible trade situations going on. Carolina, Chicago, Denver, Indianapolis, Las Vegas, Miami, and New England are all interested in them. Out of those entire teams, only one team, the Miami Dolphins, is going to give away one first-round pick. The rest are going to give away two, and the Indianapolis Colts are offering three first-rounders and Phillip Rivers if they want him (laughs) to the Houston Texans for Deshaun Watson. And I personally believe that Deshaun Watson should go to the Indianapolis Colts, not just for the three first-round picks, but because they have the best O-line. Their defense this year was phenomenal, top 10 in the NFL. They've had some struggles trying to get the ball to wide receivers, so you get a guy like Deshaun Watson who sets the passing record in 2020, had to fight through COVID and yeah. all these situations. He has the ability to take the Colts in a deep playoff run, if not to the playoffs. Yeah, that's an interesting take that I thought about there, Kruk. I mean, when you look at the Colts, right, you know, you just lost Phillip Rivers, you know, and now your team is – you still got a rebounding team with their defense. I mean, Darius Leonard, he's a great linebacker for their team. And, you know, they got great running backs in Jonathan Taylor, which that was constant running back. He, he made a lot of yards against my Buckeyes, Crook, if you want to know about this way. But, no, it's very, very interesting that you said about the Colts. But, to me, the most logical, like I said, probably the Dolphins, maybe the Jets, if the Jets want to try to help themselves out, right, with um, getting maybe if they want to do a package with Sam Darnold or they don't want to keep Sam Darnold. So, that's going to be interesting to me. So the two teams I'm looking at most likely for Deshaun are going to be either the Miami Dolphins. They do something with Tua. Some other, like you said, some other picks, future picks in the 2022 and 20, maybe 2021 draft. And maybe the Jets, if they want to help rebuild themselves, get out of the New York, you know what I think, the little problems that they're having in the, jet, the whole ingestion of that city. No, it would be those two teams I think are the most likely are going to be the place for Deshaun. And this trade – cannot go unmentioned, is one of the biggest things that's happening in sports this month. Brett Favre, a Hall of Fame quarterback who played for the Packers, Falcons, Jets, (laughs) probably another team in there, has come out on record and said that Deshaun Watson should be happy with whatever situation he's in and should not ask to be traded. He should pretty much just be happy wherever he is. And Deshaun Watson's personal, or not personal trainer, but agent came out and said, pretty much said, Brett Favre, don't throw stones in your glass house. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, looking at Deshaun Watson, everyone, a lot of teams want him, right? Deshaun Watson, he's an elusive quarterback. He can throw the ball all around, and he makes a lot of plays. And, you know, coming from Clemson, coming from Dabo Sweeney and that whole organization, it was just great to see, like, his involvement and everything. And I hope he finds a good team, and we'll see how it works. Well, Kruk, we're also now we're going to move over to the NBA. We had a fun little three topics of NFL, but now we're going to move over to the NBA and talk about Raptors guard Fred Van Fleet. 
Fred Van Fleet, he scored 54 points against the Orlando Magic in a 123-108 win on Tuesday night. He became the first NBA player to score that amount of points as an undrafted agent. That is really cool to my mind. That is awesome for him. Kruk, what did you think of his performance, and what do you think of the Raptors as a potential team to watch in the NBA? Well, as a guy who grew up 30 minutes away from Rockford, Illinois, I know the name Fred Van Vliet pretty well, as well as James Robinson with the Jacksonville Jaguars, just a name drop real quick. But Fred Van Vliet is huge when it comes to Rockford and basketball. You know, an undrafted rookie had to work his way through the G League, just an absolute inspiration to hard work and dedication. In that performance where he scored 54 points, he was 17 for 23 on field goals. He was 11 for 14 on three-pointers and a perfect 9 for 9 from the charity stripe. But 11 for 14 from three-point range. Wow. That goes down in my book as one of the best shooting performances in a long time. That's up there with Clay Thompson's 60-point game on four dribbles. I mean, he was lights out, Kruk. You know what I mean? When I look at, you know, the stats and look at what the Raptors are at, right, you know, with that performance for Fred Van Fleet, they have other great guards, right? And when I think of the Raptors, I thought of their NBA run they had with, with um, Kawhi Leonard, right, with Kawhi Leonard. And when they beat the Warriors and they felt so good, the, city, the country of Canada, they were so uh, up there and they were so glad. But, you know, now it feels different, right? You know, now they have a great two players, right, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry. And obviously if Fred Van Fleet can keep putting performances like that, this team could become a team to watch. I mean, the problem is, though, in the Eastern Conference, it is getting more loaded, right? You're getting the Brooklyn Nets that got James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and you have the Celtics with Tatum and Brown, and then you have the Sixers with Embiid. So that, this whole conference is starting to become – because a lot of people, I always like to think, is Eastern Conference or Western Conference the better one? You know what I mean? I always thought first it was the Western Conference when I watched, but now the Eastern Conference, it's starting to come better. They're starting to get teams. They're starting to compete with this – um, the Western Conference win NBA championships. So I believe if Fred Van Fleet can keep it up and keep putting performances like that and, you know, just try to keep pushing himself. This team, the Raptors, you got to watch them out. And also to continue on it, it was not just a scoring night for Fred Van Vliet. The rest of his box score included three rebounds, two assists, three steals, and three blocks in 37 minutes. Going into, the, wow. going into the second quarter, he had 17 points. Going into halftime, he had 28. In the third quarter is when he did most of his damage, totaling 46. Going into the fourth quarter and then just hit eight more points in the fourth quarter, took a seat, and famous Raptors that he's outscored, which in my mind is pretty cool, Hakeem Olajuwon one of the greatest centers of all time. Wow. He outscored Kawhi Leonard. He outscored Vince Carter, who you may know as um, one of the greatest dunkers of all time. <laughs> uh, Tracy McGrady, what could have been. And then Kyle Lowry. So he's outscored every single Raptor ever. And he's just getting started. Yeah. Came out of Wichita State. He had something to prove. And I think he proved it, but I think in his mind he's not done yet. Absolutely. You know, I think for him it's, it's got to be the mindset, right? His mindset has got to keep being, i got to be able to perform this amount of points 
to help my team win a championship because to me right now their leading scorer at the moment I mean he right now is but Pascal Siakam is right there he's a great rebounder he's tall and he makes a lot of plays so if this team wants to win a championship right if they want to have this way they got to have the mentality of Fred Van Fleet you got to be out there doing your best you can right and you know when he was reporting, I found some research. You know, he really wants to, he said to a reporter, he feels great and he wants to focus on winning a championship, right? He said this out to the Wichita Eagle, the local um, paper that was there. So if he wants to do that, he's got to be able to help his team out. He's got to make plays, make assists, like you said, get the rebounds, big boards for this team to win it all, Krupp. And as you mentioned earlier, the talent in the NBA often does switch between the East and the West. In the 80s, it was probably the closest it ever was, split right down the middle, having Larry Bird in his left hand <laughs> scoring 47 <laughs> points as he wanted to in the East. But then he also had Magic. And then, you know, this guy you might know, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was in mm -hmm. the West. But then in the 90s, everybody knows that the East was in charge because Michael Jordan pretty much wouldn't let anybody else take his throne. But nowadays, it is right down the middle. They have talent in the West. They have talent in the East. The only place they really don't have talent is my Chicago Bulls. <laughs> so we're going to move on here. Now it's time for our uh, segment here at our local college, Avila University. Avila University recently had their home opener for baseball at the Zarda Family Multisport Complex. They ended up splitting with Peru State Bobcats. Peru State won the first game 9-1. to and Avila won the second game 6-2. to two. Um, Got anything to mention on that one? Yeah, I mean, it was good. You know, I was probably glad they were back home, right? You know, they had a couple of postponements before. They had one with a weather delay and stuff. So they've probably felt good to be back home and enjoying it. I mean, some stats that I found out, some great from Junior Gunner Brody and Brilee Bro, great pitching performances. They did a good job in that win over Peru State. And also the three, two three-run home run shots by Jared Fry and uh, Hunter Reed. That was very important for them to win that game. Um, and they're going to have to keep having that, right, Crook? they got to keep improving every single day. Absolutely. Touch on the first game. Keaton Ashby, the Eagles' ace, pitched the first game, and he was retired early after two and a third innings, giving, giving up seven earned runs. After him came in Justin Lohman, who pitched the, rem the rest of the game, only giving up two runs. The Eagles only ended with three hits that game, but the takeaway that I found, Jose Diana, the pitcher for the Bobcats of Peru State, pitched six innings, only allowing three hits, wow. one run, and had nine strikeouts. When he was finally relieved, Cabarero came in in his first live pitch, domed Kurt Trotter right in the helmet, we thought he was down. He got up, trotted down to first base. What a trooper. Caballero ended up getting two more strikeouts, and that was the end of the first game. But going forward here, if Avila wants to start collecting more wins, they're going to have to start their offense a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. And their defense has got to wake up straight out of the gate. Avila yep. gave up three runs in the opening inning. How, you, you can't win games when you give up three runs in an opening inning. Yeah, that's exactly right, Crook. I think exactly what I said before, right? You need – the defense has got to – like you said, the defense has got to start starting right away. Because if you allow a lot of runs at the beginning of the, the game, it's not going to go well, right? Your team's going to fall down. The team morale's not going to go great. So I think you just a fast start. The fast starts are important. 
and they got to also be able to, you know, take care and get some big hits, right, when they need it the most. Um, like you said, in that first game, they just didn't have the bat production to win. They didn't have it. In the second game, they did, right? They got the two big shots. So, you know, if they keep having that consistency, they keep having all that, this team could be a contender in the KCAC. And just as a reminder, this season was shut down rather suddenly last year due to the COVID-19 virus outbreak. It was in the middle of their season. So for some of these sophomores this year, it's still technically partly their freshman season. So you got two, two ages of freshmen playing at home right now, which is tough, but you got to get over the hump at some point. You're only a rookie for so long. But I do agree, the bats have to start earlier and they have to hit more often for the rest of the season if they want to be a contender. Yeah, absolutely agree, Crook. So moving forward, our final topic of the day is going to be once again, another trade, but not in the NFL. <laughs> this trade happened in the MLB. You might know it. The best third baseman in baseball got traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. Nolan Arenado going to the Cardinals. The Cardinals instantly NLC favorites. What do you got on that, Max? I wouldn't say they're NL, NL like favorites. I mean, they're probably they're going to be better off with them. I think, you know, look, look at some bets, look at some odds. You know, before Arenado, they're about 80% at least to get into the postseason. That's what I noticed. But now with them, 86%. You know, with Arenado, he's – Early, he's a good Golden Glove winner, right? He's very known for his defense, right? And he play, he's won it five times. He makes a lot of plays. When I watch him, he does, like, nice cool underhand um, catches and cool things. So that's awesome for him. But also the bat production, right? You know, not just his defense. He, has, he does it both ways. And I think that the Cardinals, they're getting a great player in him, right? You know, he is going to help them, t help them maybe become – Around the second or first place, you know. The Reds, I mean, the Reds have a – here's the thing about the Reds. When I notice about the Reds, they don't know about, you know, what Trevor Bauer, what he's going to be like. They don't know if he's going to stay with Cincinnati or not. Or, you know, what the bats are going to be like, right? I mean, we got Mike Moustakis, Castellanos, and we got to figure out if the Reds are still going to be like that. And the Cubs, I mean, the Cubs were – they're good, but they weren't as great as they were before, right? They weren't – you know, I think they got to find themselves when they won those World Series, right? They got to find themselves in this way. So, I think the Cardinals, I mean, they're going to be close, right? They're going to be close, but I think it's going to be they got to keep getting their offense, right? Right now they have Goldschmidt, they got DeJong, and they got some other great players on their offense, but is it going to be enough? We'll see. And since you brought up the rest of the teams, the Pittsburgh Pirates gutted their team as well, not doing too good. They <laughs> traded away Josh Bell. They traded away – most of their talent other than their catcher. Sad. And then the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, as a fan of the Milwaukee Brewers, it's hard to talk bad about them. But they are on the decline as of recently. They signed Kenton Wong, but that's not going to be enough to turn the team around. But the Cardinals definitely came away with the trade. 100%. There's no doubt about it. They got the third baseman, Nolan Arenado, and they got $51 million from the Rockies to help pay for the contract. But what did Amazing. the Rockies get? They had they got three pitchers, two righties, one lefty, and then two infielders. So they definitely got five players for one player, but that one player was pretty good to trade away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at Nolan Arenado, like I said before, I mean, these are I found some stats here, Crook, from 2015, right? And I looked at since 2015, he is right now first with 647 RBIs, batted in. He's had... 427 extra base hits, 
and he has 207 home runs. All those are either the top five in their category of what he is. So what the Cardinals are getting is they're getting someone that's important to them. And, and that's going to be interesting. I mean, with the Brewers, like you mentioned them before, what is the Brewers going to be like, right? When you look at Christian Yelich, I always thought he was the player, right? Christian Yelich, he's there. He makes a lot of plays. And he's just he's a great, versatile player for them. So we'll have to see. I think, you know, the Cardinals, they're a team. Like I said, they have the pedigree. They got the coach. And can they keep it up? We'll have to see. And then just a little bit more news. Arenado said he'd like to be a Cardinal for a long time. They are NL Central favorites. Second being the Cubs. Third being the Cincinnati Reds. Yadier Molina expected to be back very soon. And then now that Trevor Story is all alone on the right side of the infield in Colorado, Colorado's thinking about trading him as well. So that's been Crunch Time with Cruck. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hope you learned a little bit of something. If not, I just hope you didn't fall asleep at the computer. My name's Jake Krugenberg. This is Max Williams. We'll see you next time.